We've talked a lot about Christopher Hitchens on this podcast over the years, probably more than just about any other writer. Um, I guess I'd just like to pause and consider why is that exactly? Is it because his defection to the right felt like such a betrayal? Is it also because there's some frustration in there that he never considered it a defection himself? Well, I mean, speaking for myself, I think there are really two reasons. Um, I mean, just to directly answer your question about why do we talk about him so much on this show? I mean, I think part of it is that, you know, he's a perfect, like, artifact from the, you know, early 2000s. Well, yeah, I I guess you're right. I mean, he was a huge presence. He was, God is not great. All those debates that he did, all those... uh, Going on on TV to talk about how it was a shame there wasn't a hell for Jerry Falwell to burn in. He's a guy who I think also, when we were younger, we were at the exact right age to see him and sort of view him, if not uncritically than certainly uh, credulously. That's right. And I mean, this is another point I would make about this uh, collection of writings from the LRB. One of the other uh, panelists during this Harper's discussion, you know, pointed out that for a lot of people, um, you know, if you know about Christopher Hitchens now, I think this might be in Christian Lorenzen's uh, review, I can't remember, but a lot of people don't really associate Hitchens with the written word at all. You know, he's a guy who is known for, I mean, or if they do, it's like uh, for, you know, just the odd, like awful bit of contrarian clickbait, like the why women aren't funny article or something like that. But mostly, he's known as like a purveyor of the hitch slap, right? He's known for like debates he had with Rabbi Shmuley or, you know, these like rhetorically feckless clergymen who just like talk about how r- miracles are real. And then he's just like, oh, do you believe in the flying spaghetti monster? <laughs> yeah, the flying spaghetti monster was more uh, the Richard Dawkins thing. But <laughs> but it's just like that. Ooh, ooh <laughs> talking snake. Ooh, uh, Garden of Eden. Yeah, sounds, sounds bloody truthful, doesn't it? Eh? <laughs> Very good, Christopher Hitchens impression there. I'd venture to say mine was slightly better. That's, but, uh, that's my, my impression of generic British atheist. <laughs> <laughs> but so, uh, I mean, in terms of why I wanted to talk about this collection, I mean, I think that would be, be one reason is because it's worth excavating you know, earlier Hitchens stuff when, you know, as a stylist, uh, he was incredibly good at what he did. He made a lot of really good arguments. You know, if people want to read a good book on Hitchens, I would recommend um, the the recent one by uh, by my pal Ben Burgess, who, you know, I think is a little more sympathetic. He's more of a Hitchens head, I suppose, than I am. But I, uh, I blurbed it because I thought it was a, a really good contribution to kind of the Hitchens literature. And what it tries to do is really salvage the, the things that Hitchens uh, got right. If you want a more critical account, there's the one by Richard Seymour called uh, Unhitched which was part of the Verso Counterblast series, which is very good as well. But I'll tell you that I think the really the really big reason um, why Hitchens is someone I come back to so much, and it's because uh, one of my, I think, deepest fascinations um, and something that interests me almost more than anything else, a kind of meta-political interest of mine, if you want, is the nature of ideology and, and political identity. Where does it come from? Uh, to what extent are our political beliefs, our political identity, our allegiances, whatever, to what extent are those um, something that we've kind of inherited that you inherit through your own background or your own, I mean, whatever, the moment in history you were born, the milieu that you were born into, whatever. And to what extent are those things something that you're able to kind of uh, interrogate and, you know, think about objectively and develop for yourself? Now, I don't fully have an answer to that question. I don't think there is a straightforward one, and I think it's kind of um, a case-specific thing. But the reason why political apostasy is so interesting for me in that uh, regard is because it brings into very sharp relief things about political commitments and ideology that really have nothing to do with uh, the commitments themselves on the surface or the specifics of ideology. You're drawn very much, you know, in the case of someone like Christopher Hitchens, to think about what the roots of his, uh, you know, transformation might have been and 
can you find evidence in earlier writings? Uh, because, of course, he was somebody who, as you uh, rightly said, you know, didn't regard himself as an apostate exactly. His line was basically that, well, you know, I've always been part of the internationalist left, and it's the left that's abandoned that. It's not me. And so inevitably, that gives you cause to think about uh, passages like the one I just read, um, where he almost seems to be, you know, he, he admires the, the, the rhetorical power and, and potency, the, the dynamism, in a way, of, you know, George H.W. Bush's rhetoric around uh, the Gulf War. Uh, there's a passage of his that I, that I brought up in the Harper's discussion that I think is probably, you know, more, more emblematic of this than anything else, which I think occurs in Hitch 22 uh, around the time, also in an article he wrote in the 80s, around the time of the famous kind of uh, Margaret Thatcher spanking him with a copy of the, I can't remember if it was the Spectator, or maybe that would be too perfect, the House of Commons order paper, whatever it was. Hitchens has this line, uh, when it originally appeared in the New York Times magazine, uh, he said, uh, if labor could not revolutionize British society, then the task might well fall to the right. I've always been fascinated by that, uh, that passage, because, and I mean, this will just be a retread of something I said in the other discussion, I mean, the framing of uh, revolutionizing British society being uh, a task like, the revolution doesn't need to be ideologically specific. Like, revolution in this formulation is a sort of free-floating idea. To suggest that it's a task kind of suggests that, you know, you know he's kind of saying somebody has to do this. Uh, you know, it's, it's going to happen at some point. If the left can't do it, then the right's going to have to do it. Which, I mean, knowing uh, Hitchens' background, uh, where he was, you know, in a milieu where people were, you know, had, had allegiance to what they called dialectical materialism anyway, uh, where there was a sense in the 1960s that, you know, some kind of revolutionary moment, you know, might be coming um, and that it was something that everyone could kind of look forward to and that they were hopefully bringing about through their uh, political activities and so on. You know, when you start thinking about a passage like that in those terms and you kind of put it in historical context, I mean, the, the conclusion I would draw from that is that, you know, Hitchens was attracted to the left insofar as there was, you know, some kind of dynamic left for him to be attracted to. And then in 1991, here he is, and he's going to a, a protest around Operation Desert Storm. And as he puts it, except for a fistful of Trotskyists, it's just a bunch of people with these banners where they're talking about, oh, the war is too expensive. And like, oh, America first. Like, we shouldn't be meddling in the Middle East. Uh, all this kind of stuff. 